And I uh, just want to welcome you. My name is Mark, and a warm welcome to have you, and good to have you here with us. Uh, as Dub said earlier, there are a lot of visitors down. I came down from Hilton yesterday morning about 11 o'clock, and I've never seen the toll gate so full in our, in our lives. So if you're here in the KZN, it's a great place to live. In fact, it's the promised land down here. And as our pastor always says, if you're down here, look around at real estate, come and live here. Yeah, anyway, so two things I want to mention to you because I've been a local here for 40 odd years, and there are two things I want to highlight if you visit two things you can do. Number one, number one, go and sit on one of our beautiful beaches. And when you go, take a little bit of extra money with you. Get in that ocean, get the salt water in you, then come out, sit down. There are a couple of angels on our beaches. They walk around with those head coolers and, and, and you can hear the ringing tone from a while away. Go and buy yourself an ice cream and marinate your mouth. Take a moment, sit on your beach towel and suck that ice cream. It'll be the most present you are this whole holiday. Okay. All right. Secondly, every year here on the North Coast, there's a crop that comes out. It shows off. It's delicious. It's juicy. And it's called a lychee. A lychee. Yeah, I got, I got one right for you. And I want to tell you, friends, this is indigenous to the North Coast. It comes out once a year. I want to tell you, it's, it's expensive, but it's well worth it. And I want to encourage you to take a moment. Go and buy yourself a nice big pack from Woolworths. Who loves Woolworths? Can we just appreciate Woolworths? Yeah. So you go... You know, every time I go to Woolworths after gym, I get an ice bath because the fruit section's so cold. Anyway, so, so listen, yeah, go and get yourself a lychee. It's going to help you. You're going to be blessed. Who wants a lychee? There we go, right in the front row. Awesome. Good to have you with us. And so, friends, today I really want to encourage you because as we come to this end of the year, and I know if you've moved down and, you, and you're new to the area and you're on holiday, that we've really come down off the back end of a big year. Has 2019 been a big year? And for many of us, we're pretty rushed. Christmas is coming. We're only three days out. It's like, are we going to be ready for it? And uh, I remember um, Freddie Mercury released a song in 1984. It goes a bit like this. It says, buddy, you're a young man, strong man, shouting your name all over the streets. You're going to change the game. Blood on your face, your big disgrace. Grace, we will, we will rock you. Come on, Link Church, I need some participation here today. We will, we will. One more time. We will. You see, you see, I love how Freddie Mercury, I, I didn't put it, he says, waving your banner all over the place. I want to tell you, there's one thing the world is going to do to you and I, it's going to rock you. But I want to tell you, friends, we stand in the presence of a Savior that's chosen to save us. And you know, I love those words because it says you've got blood on your face, your big disgrace. I want to tell you, we have an enemy who'll come and put, try and put disgrace on you, put shame on you. But I want to tell you, God came to take your place. And He has come to give you His grace. And I want to tell you today, as we stand here on the end of Christmas, and I don't know what your lures look like. You might have arrived here feeling disappointed or hurting. But I want to tell you, there's good news this morning. Because there isn't blood on our face. There's blood on His hands. He took our place, and He will never fail us. The world might rock you, but He's come to save us. And that's the story of Christmas, and um, I want to encourage you around that because I think the challenge is for all of us as we get to this time of the year, we're like holding our breath. We're like, <gasps> is Uncle Henry going to come to Christmas? <sighs> are we going to do it around the tree, or are we gonna, what are we going to do at Boxing Day? We, we, all these things going through our minds and off the back end of a busy year. Um, but I really believe, as we hear this morning, our greatest desire is to have a relationship with God. And um, I'm going to ask just to drop us a ball there quickly. Um, you know, I think for all of us, I chose this board, it's white and red, just specifically because white speaks of God's purity and the red is the blood that was shed for you and I, the one who took our place. 
But if I could liken it, I think for a lot of us, we come into this year and we, we, our greatest desire, you see, we know the Christmas story. We know all about the Bible. We've heard about the shepherds, the kings, everything like that. We know all that. But the biggest challenge is would we feel his presence. We really want to experience him. If he is the joy of the world, what would it look like to live with that joy? Joy. And so what we really want to do is we want to try and bring him close, and we want to hold him right here. The Bible says, in your heart, in your soul, not your physical heart, in your soul, and we want to bring him close. That's our greatest desire. Isn't that your greatest desire this Christmas? We want to bring him close. The problem is that the Bible says we have an enemy, as I said. He wants to rock your world. He'll do anything to distract you. And so he'll throw things at you like, are oh, we going to have Christmas this year? Or what are we going to do for Boxing Day? As I said earlier, is Uncle Henry coming? And, and, and then what are we going to do at New Year? And then what are we going to do after that? And are we going to go to school? And what's my kids going to do? And then I, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to happen. And, and we, we're juggling all these balls. And we find ourselves holding things that we were never born to carry. And you know what's happened? The one we truly love is down here. And we come through the end of New Year and we go like, where is he? God, where are you? You feel so distant. But I want to say we have a father in our presence whose greatest privilege, that's the story of Christmas, is that he came down and he wants to take this ball and put it close back in your heart again. In a very restless world, what does it look like for you and I to feel his presence again? Because the Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. And I don't know about you, but Christmas is a time where you can experience everything of who God is for you and I. And so today, I want to take you to a scripture, and uh, you'll excuse me as during the service I kick the balls off. There we go. We're going to go to a scripture today, and uh, I'm really praying that God's going to speak to us. I have a simple word that I believe is going to help you and I. And uh, I know for many of you, you've come down, and we're going to go and, and, and experience some rest and, um, and I really want to speak about the subject of rest because it's a simple word, but uh, how do we know that we can be physically rested but really restless in our hearts? How many know that you can have on the outside, you can be really doing well, but inside there's this restlessness that often uh, attacks us at this time of the year, to be honest. It causes us to second guess what this year has been like. It causes us to second guess our relationship with God. But I believe that today Jesus has some practical help on how you and I can live rested in a restless world. You ready to go? We're going to turn, why don't you turn with me today to uh, Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 30. It's out the message version. But I wanted to just set this up with this because I, I saw this recently. It says this, in 2019, version users read 35.6 billion chapters and listened to 5.6 billion chapters through its online and mobile Bible apps. In all of this reading, Paul's advice in Philippians 4 verse 6 was the most shared, highlighted, and bookmarked verse of the year. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. You know, the second most popular verse this year is the text that we're going to read today from Matthew 11. And you know what it's about? It's about what it is to get rest in a restless world. And so I'm going to read it to you. And these are the words of Jesus. And He starts with something that is powerful that really brings us into the context you see, Jesus was in a city, and he had been there. He'd been in his presence. He had been there preaching to these people, and they received nothing. There was no response. And so he left the city, and he, as he left, he, he almost warned them. He said, you know what? There's a challenge that you and I face the whole time. We can be surrounded by Christmas, but never experience. You can stand on Salt Rock Beach and look at the wide expanse of the beautiful Indian Ocean and never truly see the sea. 
You can look back over these rolling hills and see all the sugar cane, but never put your teeth into an experience of sweetness. Isn't that true? We can be in the moment, not fully there. And Jesus is speaking and he looks at these people and it's, he goes like, I wonder what was wrong with them. And then he begins these words and I wanna read it to you. He asks a question and I love his questions because it's not just one question, it's three questions. Jesus asked the greatest questions. Let's read it together. It says this, are you tired? Question mark. I love how he starts around our physical bodies. He looks over Link Church this morning and says, have you arrived from Gauteng? Are you tired physically? Often where we are physically is due to what's going on inside. Are you tired is the first question. Then he asks the second one and he goes a bit deeper. He says, are you worn out? I think he's moving from physical to down into our hearts. Are you worn out? To be worn out is to imply that you're emotionally dry. You've been worn out. I mean, you've been going down the same path, the same path, and to be honest, you're asking, will it ever change? Let me tell you, let me ask you if you're worn out. If, if people get excited by 2020, you're just going, I hope I get through January. You know, are you worn out? Are you, does it feel like next year seems like a mountain? Jesus is asking you this morning, are you worn out? And then I love the third question. He says, are you burnt out on religion? Now, I think religion has to do with performance. Are you burnt out on trying to be someone you're not? Are you burnt out on trying to keep up with people that you think you need to keep up with? Are you burnt out with trying to be someone you're not? Jesus is asking, are you burnt out? And here's what I want to say. When he says these words, it's not judgmental. He's looking upon a people that he wants to help. He's looking upon them with people with love and he's saying, Link Church at 2019, are you tired, are you worn out, are you burnt out? And then he switches it. And he brings the balm that brings healing, he brings the medication that we so desperately need in our hearts. And these are his words. He says to us, come to me. I love that invitation, come. It's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come to me. You know what that means? Come as you are. Don't come and sort yourself out. Don't go to the temple. Don't do your thing. No, no, come as you are. Come to me. Every other religion points elsewhere. Go and do that. Go and pray three times a day. Go and do that. Go and sacrifice that. Jesus says, no, come to me. The good news of the gospel. Come to me. And then he says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I love that you will recover your life. Not you might, not maybe one day. No, you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, which implies that there's a counterfeit rest. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Don't you love it? Don't you feel the rhythm? Walk, watch, work, walk, watch, work. I love that. Then he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I believe that grace has a pace. There's an unforced rhythm to this. It's not forced upon us. Jesus says, walk, work, watch how I do it. And then he says this, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Today, the title of my message is this, if you're taking notes, nice and simply, how to take a real rest. Anyone keen for a real rest here? As I said earlier, there could be counterfeits to this rest. 
You know, we often think rest has to do with kicking our feet up, and it does. It has to do with us working all six days and taking a rest, and that is true. But could it be that there is a real rest that is available for you and I? Something that's not natural in the eyes, it's supernatural, and God invites us to take that. There is something more beautiful. There's something in our grasp that you and I can walk into. Jesus' invitation to you and I is to take a real rest. You know what I love? I love this word, take. Take implies we make a decision. Take says take the opportunity. Listen, ladies, if I just say to you, I'd offer you two days in the Midlands in a health spa, what would you do? You would take it, yeah. Men, if I had to offer you 10 days in 2023 World Cup in France to watch the Springs Race, you would? Okay, just a few in the front, yo, take it, take it. If, if you are from Gauteng and I would offer you three weeks on any hotel here on the North Coast, you would? Okay, wonderful. Just some excited car tingers here. I want to tell you, you see, here's, here's, what, here's what God's saying to you. It is a choice only you can make. Your wife can't make it for you. Your father can't make it for you. Your children can't make it for you. Jesus said, would you make a choice to take a real chest, a real rest? It's up for us. The choice is ours. Take a real rest. I looked up the word rest. It says to seek work or movement in order to relax. Ooh, I love some of the synonyms. Snatch 40 winks. Get some shata. Kip. I mean, I don't know where that is. Kip there. Kip, take a kip. Recharge one's batteries. Maybe you're doing that this holiday. The Hebrew word for rest is nuok. It means to be quiet. Sometimes it's synonymous with shabbat, to cease or to rest. The Greek word for rest is anaposis, which means cessation or refreshment. Jesus' rest is not a rest from work, but in work. It's not a rest from work, it's in work. The Hebrews encourage us, and the book of Hebrews encourage us to labor to rest. In other words, walk towards rest, work towards it. There's something that is in it for all of us. And I like this last one, and I think this is a great perspective on rest. Pastor Joseph Prince said this, rest is not inactivity, rest is divinely directed activity. Rest, I'll say it again, if you're taking it, rest is not inactivity, rest is divinely directed activity. How do we find that rest? You know, recently I, I was uh, just looking at Twitter and I follow these pictures that come from around the world. Just, they just take snapshots of people. And uh, I found this picture of uh, a brother and a sister and they were riding on a horse, galloping in a horse next to a train. And I wonder if we've got that picture for us. You can put that up. And I just thought this was such a great picture of rest. Um, you see this horse is at full tilt. The brother is in his gumboots in the front. He's on his saddle, but look at the girl behind him. She has no saddle. She's holding on there. This horse is at a full gallop. I don't even think that's a bridle in the front. But there she is. Can you see, can you see the smile on her face? You know what that tells me? She is so rested inside, but it is so restless outside. I think sometimes we think if everything is good on the outside, then we will be rested. But I want to tell you, you can be, have chaos around you, but still be rested inside you and still ride your horse. I love that picture because that is what you and I as the church are. It's not that we're going to deal, problems are going to disappear. It's that God's going to give us a new perspective on how to deal with it. That's what real rest is. Rest is not going to book out, put my feet up and hope for the best. Rest is not a location. Rest is a lifestyle. Rest is spirit in you. Look at that girl riding with carefree, smiling for the camera. I mean, she's just waving. But walking in confidence. You see, rest, we often worry about confidence. You know, how much I got, how little I got. Confidence is not about how much or little you have. It's where you put it that counts. Where am I putting my confidence? I put my confidence in Christ and His finished work.
That's what real rest is. Often people say, you know, rest is a place. It's down here in Belida. Rest is when I eat lychees. Rest is when I sit on the salt rock beach and suck my ice cream. Rest is when I take a walk with my children. No, rest is not a place. Rest is a person. His name's Jesus Christ. And we come to rest on him. I want to give you a couple of things. I've got a framework today. It's going to make it nice and simple. It's practical, but it's powerful. I'm going to give you an acronym for rest. And uh, we're going to start with R, the first one. Rest, R. The first one we're going to do and look at what it does for us. Because I think Jesus in the scripture will give us some details on what it is to take a real rest. The first one is this, remember his love. Remember his love. Who remembers that song? Do you remember? Uh, You see, exactly, exactly, exactly. You see, exactly. I can remember the tune. I haven't a clue with the lyrics. Yeah, do you remember, released in 1980 by Earth, Wind, and Fire, that's what I heard, but the Avengers have just bought it out, so now it counts. But do you remember, you see, the problem with us is we suffer from amnesia. We can't even remember what we did on Wednesday last week. And so that song brings us something, but you see, the reality is I know the tune, but I've forgotten the lyrics. It's a bit like Christmas. We know the tune of Christmas, but we don't know why it's so important. We know why rest is nice tune, but we don't know why the real rest is important for our lives. And Jesus is saying, friends, you're missing it. There's something so powerful. You know what the key to walking in, in, in security is? Is to remember his love. Not your love for him, his love for you. Do you remember? If there's one thing we're gonna do, you know what there are two things people don't like? To be told what to do. The second thing is be told not to do anything. You know what Jesus says about real rest? Hey, church, there's only one thing I want you to do. Remember my love for you. C.S. Lewis said, it's not that we have a great view of who God is. It's to know what he thinks about you and how much he loves you. That's to remember his love. I love it, the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, he goes for 11 chapters. He talks about how Jesus did this and how he's the ultimate sacrifice and we've been justified. There's graces here. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he just turns it. He goes, therefore, this is what I want you to do. And everyone stops and goes, wow, what do you want to do? He says, embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. In other words, take a hold of what God has done for you. The gospel is not we do, do, do. The gospel, it's already been done. Look what he's done. Remember his love for you. Remember. Well, 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 here's a question. What is this love? Because love has many connotations. We think love in the way we think, you know. If I perform, then I'll get love. But that's not the love that God has for us. What is love? The Bible says in the New Testament, God is love. It doesn't say love is God. It says God is love. What does love do? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know what love does? It gives. Love gives. That's what it does for you and I. It tells me that God treasures me for who I, are, for who I am, not measures me for what I do. He loves me. His pleasure is over me. And that's what helps me get through the pressure. It's not that I get through it on my own. It's that his love for me. I love the Apostle John, you know, he, he, he often speak about him. He, second to Paul, wrote the most in the New Testament. He wrote the John's Gospel, he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. Guess where he wrote it? On the Isle of Patmos, on an island in a prison chained to a wall. 
And you know what the th- great thing about Paul, uh, John was? The one thing that, that signified his life, and he says it five times in his gospel. You know what he did? You know what he did all the time? He just remembered God's love for him. All he did was go, I'm gonna remember God's love for me. You know why that's important for you and I? Because there are so many promises attached to you and I when we remember God's love for us. You know, John, he's sitting in the Last Supper and they're all sitting there like this and he's on Jesus' chest and he says, I'm the one that Jesus loves. And then Peter goes, and Jesus talks about someone who's gonna deny them and, and be a traitor. And Peter looks across and says, hey, John, please ask Jesus, who's that gonna be? So, so John goes across and says, hey, Jesus, who is this? And he looks across and says, no, it's Judas over there. And I thought to myself, you know, when we remind ourselves of God's love, we can be in the presence of evil, but still know his peace. He's on the cross and he's, Jesus is dying. The Romans are right there, soldiers. Guess who's left? John and Mary. What does John do? At that moment, he just reminds us of God's love for him. As he's doing that, Jesus looks down and he says, John, this is your mother, Mary. Mary, this is now your son, John. You know what happens when we remind ourselves of God's love? He gives us purpose. He's fishing out with Peter. They've caught nothing all night. John's in the boat. You know what John's doing? He's reminding himself of God's love for him. No one, there's a man standing on the shore. No one can see who it is. You know who saw it? John. When we remind ourselves of God's love, there might be nothing around us, but we'll be able to discern exactly where Jesus is. When you read the Bible, Jesus will begin to flow out of every scripture. You know why? Because our premise for reading it is to remember God's love for us. When I remember when I, when I remember, you see, I think we, we do. We say, why, why would God say to the people in Israel, remember? Because he did often. He said, tell your children, teach them, teach them. Why do you think he did that? I think it wasn't just that we would forget that we know about him. It's that our hearts would be ceased to be amazed by him. You see, when you, when we, we forget, when God's saying, when you remember, you'll remember. You know why I want you to remember? Because when you know the closeness and the power of Jesus will change everything. You want to walk and rest? Remember his love. The second one is this. You're taking notes. You're going to walk in a real rest. Is this. Express your need. Express your need. Have you ever used these words before? Thank you so much, but I'm fine. Ever used that before? I was driving once with a trailer, had a flat in the trailer, didn't have a, a, a wheel spanner that could fit the nut. Someone drove past and said, hey, I can help you. I said, no thanks, I'm fine. You know? Have you ever been a man in the home and you get a new appliance and you're trying to put it all together but you're still missing some nuts and bolts and your wife says to you, can you have some help, help honey? And you go, no thanks, I'm fine. <laughs> have you ever walked out of a shopping center and you're carrying one bag too many and you know by the time you get to the car it's gonna split and someone comes to you and goes, can you help me? And you go, no thanks, I'm fine. You actually desperately need help, but you're just going, yeah, no, I'm fine. Have you ever done that before? No, thanks, I'm fine. You know what they call it in Afrikaans? A boer marker plan. Yeah? You know what they call it? You're just like, no. You know, in South Africa, there's a spirit around South Africans like, hey, no, we'll just do it. Hey. You know, I'm the guy. You know, I'll just do it, you know? You know, we, we like that kind of attitude. We think like, but, but you know what I tell you? I want to tell you, friends, it, 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 it can stagnate your spiritual growth when you think that you're self-sufficient. You see, it's gonna stagnate your growth with God. You're never gonna find real rest if you think that you're the guy. You know, walk around. And the problem with us is we don't express our needs, we suppress our needs. We push it down there and like, we don't like to share our feelings. But the premise for coming to God 
Jesus said, if you're gonna come to me, you need to get away with me and open up your heart. You see, where do we start, you and I? We start with sharing our feelings. We don't settle there, but that's where we start. I love how Jesus, he gets, he's on the, he's the greatest sermon he's ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount, and he calls all the crowd up, they come to the top. The first words he, say, he says is this, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying? Blessed are you when you are weak because then God is strong on your behalf. Blessed are you when you say, you know what, I've got nothing that I can give, but Christ has everything for me. When we get to the end of ourselves, that's what it looks like for you and I to express your need. I don't know about you, but I often say those words. No, thank you, I'm fine. No, thank you, I'm fine. But heaven looks down for people that have humility and open up their hearts. I love Peter. You know Peter the apostle? He was one of those guys who was, no thanks, I'm fine. He tried to kill the Roman soldier when, Jesus, when he took Jesus on. He tried to walk on the water. He was one of those guys who was like, mm, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, listen, I'm gonna go where you can't go at the last supper. And Peter's like, no, no, Jesus, I'm gonna come with you. You see all these 11 oaks, yeah, these riffraffs, they're not gonna have the courage and the commitment I have, but I'm gonna go. You know what he was saying? No, thanks, Jesus, I'm fine. Jesus said, I'm gonna wash your feet, Peter. No, you don't wash my feet. No, thanks, I'm fine. But you know what happened? After his resurrection, he encountered Jesus. Jesus uh, Peter encountered his grace, and later on he wrote an apostle. You know what Peter said to the church that was suffering persecution? You know what he said? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Cast your care on Him for He cares for you. Isn't that beautiful? Cast your care. You might have arrived here this Christmas thinking that you're the guy. It's be, your business is in your hands. You're trying to hold up something you were never born to hold up. But God says to you, when you start, start with your feelings. Bring Him everything you have and watch what He'll do. The whole of heaven moves for those who would humble themselves. Oh, look at Jesus. He didn't come in riches, he came in rags. He didn't come in renown, he came in obscurity. He wasn't born in a palace, he was born in a cradle. He, didn't, he wasn't born to live, he was born to die. Oh, come, let us adore him. My Savior came in humility. How much more does God pour his grace upon you and I when we come with an open heart? Express your need. The third one is this. Seek his stillness. The Bible says in Psalm 46, you know, Jesus said, they come and get away with me. You notice that? Come to me, but then get away with me. To be honest, you know, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. To be honest, we, we get a bit nervous of being still with God. We're not quite sure what it's gonna be like. To ask the average South African guy to get alone with God, it's like, is he playing chess up there? What's he gonna say? Is he distracted? I don't, I don't wanna be silent. We're nervous of it. You know why? Because we're not quite sure what God's like. But you know the Bible, it says when we approach God, we should approach God like children, with childlike faith. I was talking earlier about Woolworths. Uh, you know, I love Woolworths because you do. It's ice bath there in the fruit section, which is great. And I often go there with my children. But as we arrive, there are two things my kids do. One, that it, it, they, they don't go near the fruit section because it's cold. Have you seen Woolworths guys? They're in long pants, they're staff. They're double jersey, earmuffs, everything. So if, if, you, if you're not careful, you can see like this white little haze. It's actually a polar bear in the fruit section. But anyway, so you go like this. And then the second thing I love Woolworths is, that is, is not the second aisle, not the third aisle, the fourth aisle. There's the sample tray. 
And so you walk like this, but you know, the challenge with you is I get through the doors, my kids just go straight to the sample tray. <laughs> and my boy, he's 13, and the other day, three weeks ago, there were mince pies there. So he's sitting there, he's just like, hey, Dad. <laughs> he's got mince pie coming out, and thing. I, I'm, I don't know who are those children, shepherds. And he has the thing about a child. You see, when you, he has the thing about that sample. You see, when you, Woolworths knows this. When you get a bite of that mince pie, you'll want to buy the whole shop. <laughs> I wonder what it is to take a hold of who Jesus really is and have a bite of who he is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when you just get a touch of how beautiful Jesus is, when your heart becomes amazed to his beauty, it could change you forever. You won't just want a little, little bit of him. You want everything he has to offer. And you know what the Bible says? There's no end to what he can give you. Oh, there's a thirst. I want to seek his stillness. In a world that's full of noise, people say, don't get quiet. You see, Jesus is never going to compete with the noisy world. He doesn't going to compete. He's going to compete for, the, for, the, for your heart. The greatest real estate in this world is not the Empire State Building. It's the heart, that your soul. And Jesus says, I'm coming for that. And I think our hearts need to be amazed in who he is. Be still and know that I'm God. I love this scripture from Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It says this, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you. You see that? You'll become still with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Don't you love that? Three times God says he will. He will rejoice over you. He will quiet you, and he will rejoice over you with songs. You've arrived this morning thinking it's about what you have to do. When you get quiet with God, he's gonna rejoice over your life. He's gonna quieten you with his love. He's gonna remind you of who you are because when you get still with him, that's when the Spirit speaks. I love it with Elijah. He's depressed. He's running from God. He goes into a cave. God begins to speak to him. You know how God speaks to him? He thought he was going to speak to him in the mountains. He's going to speak to him in the thunder. God wasn't there. He thought he was in the lightning. God wasn't there. You know where God was? In a whisper. And you know, Jesus layered those same words to the people he spoke to. Whenever he told a parable, you know what he said? Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. And I think the crowd must have looked at each other. Oh, we all got ears. That's not the thing. Are you hearing what the Spirit has to say to you? Because God wants to speak to you. And one word from him would change your 2020 forever. Seek his stillness. We don't like to get still though, but the invitation from heaven is come to me, get away with me, and I will recover your life. I will refresh you like no worldly thing can. I will give you courage. I will redeem you. I will save you. I will heal you. I will bless you because that's what he does. Did you hear it in Zephaniah? He will rejoice over you with songs. Lover Bob Goff said, Jesus isn't going to try and speak over the noise in our lives. He competes for our hearts, not our attention. The last one I wanted to pick up today. Remember his love. You see, when you remember his love, that's what I love about God's love. God knows us the best, yet he loves us the most. He knows you the best. He knows you better than your wife or husband. He knows you better than you know your children. He knows you the best, and yet he loves you the most. That is amazing. 
Express your need. Don't suppress your need. Open your heart before him. Philippians 4 reminds us, bring your request to God. What's the promise? He'll give you the peace that passes all understanding. What's an offer for you and I this Christmas? Peace is an offer. Who's peace? Peace is the prince of peace, and he lives in your heart. You see, to be still is, uh, is not to do nothing. To be still is to move forward in peace. That's the good news of the gospel. Seek his stillness. Come away with him. And the last one I want to close with is this simple thought. Trust his faithfulness. Trust his faithfulness. Love the scripture from Lamentations. It says this, and you know, Jesus actually said it in that, in that scripture. It said, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And this scripture speaks of this faithfulness. It says, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I'll say it over. He's all I've got left. Trust not in your ability to be strong. Trust in, in heaven who says he is faithful on our behalf. Trust in his faithfulness. I was telling some guys recently, I live in a home which overlooks the Sambidi golf course. And uh, I watch golfers tee off at one of the places there. And what I love about golfers is sometimes their stance, you know, they like shake their knees and they get ready. <laughs> and then they take a swing and they take practice swings. And then, and then once they've taken the swing, depending on how it is, if it's a good shot, then they admire it. You know, like, look at that. <laughs> look at each other. But, but if it's a bad shot, they try and auto-correct it after they've hit it. So they hit it like this and then they're like, hey. You know, they, try and, they try and pull it back like it. And then they, if it's that way, it's this way. It's like, hey, and you can see the, the body actions. I'm just sitting on my front veranda just admiring the show. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know what? Life can be a bit like that, you know? We give it our best shot, but often it's not the right shot. But life only gives you one shot. But the scripture tells us that God's grace is new every morning. I want to tell you, there's a mulligan that comes from heaven. You know what? It's available every single morning we wake up. As those, as those waves crash up against our shore, it's a reminder of God's grace is new every morning. You might have arrived at empty hand and feel like 2019 was terrible. I want to tell you, God's grace is available for you and I. I want to close with this story today. A couple of years ago, Billy Graham passed away. He's 99 years old, and they had a memorial for him on his farm. The Grahams lived up on a mountainside in South Carolina. Billy Graham, because he got to, when you die that age, you can plan your funeral. So he chose, he invited a thousand people. A thousand people. And he said to them, listen, you invite, I'm gonna invite a thousand people, but for those thousand I invite, they can invite one more. Now, can you imagine the people that arrive at Billy Graham's funeral? Celebrities, ex-presidents, everything. When they fly in there, they don't go to the farm. They have to arrive at a depot. And you know, with famous people, they like to go with the crowd, you know? security and all that. No, 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 no. Because this day is not about you. It's about Billy Graham. And they arrive there, they get put in buses and they bust out to the farm. Can you imagine it? All the celebrity rappers and the presidents. Just one more. You can take your wife. No entourage. Crammed into buses. Can you imagine it? All nobodies celebrating somebody's significant life. They get to the funeral and the funeral happens and all the Graham children speak. But there's a middle daughter and if you had to think of her, you would associate her with a bit of a hippie. And she got up to tell a story. And I want to read it to you as I close today, because this is what it speaks, looks like for you and I to walk and rest, to find ourselves in the Father's arms. She got up to speak and he says, but I have my own Billy Graham story. 
So I'm not going to tell you. So I'm going to tell you that one. And I've told it many times, and some of you, some of you maybe heard it, but it's, it bears repeating because it, to me it speaks to the essence of who my father was. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The rug was pulled out of, from under me. My, my family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away, to get a fresh start somewhere else. And so I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date, date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, you know, they were almost grown up. They didn't know. They couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us wait to get to know this man. They'd never been a single parent. They'd never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man, this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I gonna do? I wanted to talk to my mother and father. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I gonna say to daddy? What was I gonna say to my mother? What was I gonna say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they gonna say to me? We're tired of you fooling around. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Let me tell you, you women, you women will understand. You don't want to embarrass your father and you really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. And many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain and as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. It was no shame, it was no blame, it was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our brokenness, our failure, our pain, and our hurt, God says, welcome home. And that invitation is open for you today. May God bless you. I was wondering if you'd just stand. I'm gonna take a moment just to pray.